Good evening, everyone. And my name is Cece Jones Davis. Hey, Terry. I am um, the teaching pastor here. And when Jonathan Martin reached out to me and offered me that um, some months ago, I was so excited. Um, I've never pastored before, but I was like really excited. But I said to him, you know, I don't like, just so we understand, I don't know Greek or Hebrew or anything like that. So if that's what you mean by like teaching, like that's not, I'm not your girl. Um, but he was like, oh, that's okay. You can come be the teaching pastor anyway. So I'm the teaching pastor and I'm just really, really honored tonight that in his absence and Nicole's not able to be here that you all would come and fellowship and worship with us at the table. It's so good to see your bright shining faces. Um, tonight we are gonna be looking at Luke 11, verse 1 through 3, here's what it says. He was praying, he being Jesus, in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you had a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answered from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I, can, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search or seek and you will find knock and the door shall be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your ch child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who would ask? Let's pray. Eternal and all-wise God, it is such a joy to be gathered together tonight to worship you, to focus on you, to know something more about you, to Here's something from your word that would illuminate our hearts and our lives. And now, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come, come in a deep and profound way, and that you would break this word up, and that you would distribute it to each and every one of us with the flavor that we need, with the exact message that we need. Um, we love you. We're grateful to be called your children. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Tonight I just wanted to um, not be so fancy and talk 
about uh, shameless audacity. Shameless audacity, because in this scripture, it talks about, the, it uses the words, the word persistence, but in other translations, like the NIV, instead of persistence, it uses shameless audacity. So let's, let's take a moment to go back through this and see exactly what's happening here. So Jesus, the scripture says, is in a certain place and he's praying, and we know that that is common for Jesus, right? We know that he has a deep and profound prayer life. So he's in a place and he's praying, and the disciples are kind of standing off, like I feel like the disciples are often doing when Jesus is praying, kind of just watching, right? Observing Jesus praying. And when he's done, someone says, can you teach us how to do that? Can you teach us how to pray? Because basically we've seen you do this quite often, and we don't get it. We don't quite know what you're doing and how it is helping you. So can you teach us to pray? So Jesus gives them, this is the second time in the gospel that um, the Lord's Prayer is found. It's found first in its longest, most uh, illuminated version in Matthew chapter 6, I believe. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yeah, so Matthew chapter 6. So now we're in Luke chapter 11. And what's interesting here is that this Lord's Prayer is not um, the same version, right? It's, it's, a, it's a modified, an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name. And I'm reading from my translation right now. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. That's all this version says. And I think that Jesus here modifies it to show his disciples a point that I know that we've had this conversation before, boys. I, I know that I gave you the longer version before, but here's just the nuts and the bolts. Father, a lot of people um, have internal conflicts about father, right? And we know intrinsically that God God is not a man, that God is all, right? That God is a father, that God is a mother. But in this context, he says, if you want to know how to pray, start off by saying, Father, why? Because I want you to know that there is a, a deep and, and abiding relationship here that you can depend on, that you can look to, that you can base everything that you're coming to me about on, that we have that kind of relationship, that parent-child relationship where no matter what it is, you can always, always come to me. No matter how you feel, you can always, always talk to me. I want you to start from there. He goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Now, you know, if, if you have a, a southern mama like I do, you always want your kid to know that you can come to me, talk to me about anything, but there's a level of respect because I'm your mama, right? 
there's a level of respect because I'm your daddy. So, so when you come, come. But like, I'm not your homeboy. Right? So you come knowing that though we have this bond, it is a, it is a relationship that is built upon admiration, love, and respect. Right? Because we're not on the same level. That's what, I don't know how people raise their kids other places, but in the South, that's how people raise their kids. Like, we're not on the same level. You know? Hallowed, holy. I'm holy. I'm something different. We're on, this, on different levels, and so you approach me that way, knowing that I'm, I'm not you. That's why you got to come to me. Your kingdom come. In all things, of course, we want a holy God's kingdom to come. We want a holy God's will to be established. We want the ideas of God to be like glitter in the earth, right? Give us each uh, day our daily bread. I mean, that's, that's good because it's practical, right? God knows what we need, and what we need is not just something that's transcendent, and what we need isn't just something like fluffy, like what we need are the practicalities of life. We need food, water, shelter, and some other things too. And some of the early church fathers thought that that was way like too lowly for Jesus to have actually meant. That they, that Jesus must have meant that we need a spiritual food. Yes, we do. But Calvin said that, that that idea that Jesus would not want to, or God would not want us to pray for our daily practical, physical bread was a ridiculous idea. And I agree with Calvin. We're in human bodies. We have human needs. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And I think that's so profound that in this abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer and the model of how to pray, Never forget that we always stand in need of food and forgiveness. That we always need, need sustenance for our physical bodies, but we also always, always, always need the thing that is going to keep us spiritually alive, which is God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. So don't God just give us our food, but give us, forgive us, give us your grace. And of course, you can't say that without remembering that all of this is tied up in how we forgive each other. So then we go on into a parable and Jesus says, suppose basically Suppose you have someone coming in out of town from a long journey and it's midnight and you realize you do not have what you need to be hospitable to them. Um, that's a big deal in that culture. So what are you going to do? You're going to go to a good neighbor and say, hey, I don't have what I need to host this person. Can I, can I have some bread? Right now, it is 12 o'clock at night. 
That's pretty rough. I'll admit, that's pretty rough. The, the, the friend, the neighbor, of course, understandably, is like, are you crazy? It is 12 o'clock at night. My kids are in the bed. And if you wake that toddler up, it's going to be a problem. Everybody asleep in my house can't help you. But that friend keeps knocking and knocking and asking and asking. And finally, he says, if it'll get you out of my face, if it'll get you out of my way, here is the bread. Good night. So Jesus says, this is the way that I want you to pray. That when you come, that you knock with a sort of aggression, that you knock with a certain assertiveness, that you knock with a certain persistence until you get what it is you came for. That you knock with a holy audacity, a shamelessness. until you get what you came for. And I think that a lot of times when we are praying, when we think we're praying, we're really wishing. When we think we have a prayer list, we really have a wish list. Because a lot of times we'll say what it is we, we want, we'll say what it is we think we need, but we don't have what it takes to come back. And we don't to have what it takes to follow through until there is a fruition. And so I, I think one of the things that Jesus is teaching in this prayer model is beyond how to pray, to pray. That is not just important that, that you know how to pray in terms of the Lord's Prayer model, that's great and it's a wonderful model, but if you don't get all that right, what's more important is that we do pray and that we pray with a, consistence, a consistency, that we pray not just with a consistency, but with a persistency. That's annoying. A persistency that gets on heaven's nerves. Is she really down there still asking about this? God, can you please? Like that kind of thing. So we have to consider whether we are wishing or whether we are praying. And I think that that can be answered sometimes by our approach and by the audacity of that approach. If, if we've knocked once, have we just gone away? Are we coming back saying, hey, about that bread? Hey, I, I still need that bread. This guy really is at my house. I need the bread. Right? I've had... Um, an interesting relationship myself with prayer. I grew up with um, a Methodist grandmother who, um, man, this lady could pray. This lady could pray. You would walk in her house and she'd be sitting in her chair and she'd just kind of be looking straight ahead and you'd be like, Granny, what are you doing? Oh, just praying. And you better not pick up a piece of toast at her house in the morning until everybody has had devotion. 
She's that kind of grandma. A praying, praying woman. I've had such extraordinary, I feel like, examples in my life of praying people. I grew up Methodist, but every now and then I would go over to the um, local little bitty Pentecostal church. And they had this tradition there where at a certain point in the service, and they knew it, man, like on cue, it was almost like ready, set, go. It wasn't that, but it was like that. And people would just start praying so loudly, like about everything. And the, the sound of that was soul stirring. I remember as a kid being scared to death by that, but being intrigued by it as well and want, wanting whatever that was. But people just unashamedly just praying out to God, not worried about who was looking at them or if something funny was coming out of their mouths, just what we say these days, going for broke, right? Like completely leaned in to to prayer. I've had such amazing examples of this. I had an aunt, Aunt Shirley, who was a woman in ministry who uh, was a tremendous role model for me. And she, you could tell this lady had knew her relationship with God, right? You could tell this lady knew God as father or parent because she prayed real bold. And, and when she, and she didn't let up. And she was one of my first examples of you pray until you see something happen. Push. Pray until you see something happen. She was my first example of seeing somebody push in prayer. And then it was my spiritual mother. Her name is Reverend Gabrielle Beam out of Connecticut. She's an amazing intercessor. And she discipled me for um, four or five years. She taught me so much about being persistent in prayer. I'm talking up at God, I would have said godless hours of the day. Three o'clock, five o'clock, the watches of prayer. Twelve o'clock at night. I mean, this lady, man, and she loved it. She loved it. And she would, we would be there and she would be teaching us about scripture or we would just be praying about. But she, she loved it. Not only did she love praying, but she loved praying for people. And I thought that was so, so unique. And I'm not an intercessor. A little bit of her has rubbed off, but like only a little. Because, you know, in our meetings, she would be praying so fervently and we would be going like for hours. And after a while, I would look up and I'm like, have we covered it? Can we go home? And so I'm not an intercessor, but I appreciate the life of an intercessor. Somebody who knows how to push, how to pray until something happens. Somebody who knows how to get up and keep knocking. I don't care what it costs them. I don't care what time or what kind of sleep it costs them. To keep pushing until they've seen something happen. I've had such extraordinary models, but I have to admit that like most people, there have been things that have kept me out of God's presence. 
There have been things that kept me out of God's presence. And I know that some of you all can relate to that. Feeling inadequate. I think that so many times most of us feel inadequate when it comes to praying. Like what is when Jesus, when it says that Jesus prayed, prayed in a certain place, where was that? Am I supposed to have a certain place? Am I supposed to have a certain room in my house? What is that? What does that look like? Inadequacy. When the scripture says that I'm supposed to pray all the time without ceasing, what does that really mean? And so there have been um, times in life where I have felt just so inadequate to do what is foundational to my faith, which is to pray. But I also feel as if there's something that plagues the Christian life and maybe the spiritual life more broadly, and that is a sense of spiritual suicide. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, we, we have a good, a good sense of what it is that keep us, keeps us alive as spiritual Christian beings. We know that the, the word is important. We know that prayer life is important. And we know, like, in our head that neither one of those things are too far out of our reach, right? Our Bibles sit on our counters. Our devotionals sit on our shelves and collect dust. You know, we have access to music that would inspire us, but we don't turn it on. There are prayer calls all over the country. You could just dial in and listen to other people pray, but we don't do that either. Why? Because sometimes there's something in us that's suicidal. There's something in us that says, you know, even though we're walking around and we're looking good and we're smelling good and we've got smiles on our face like everything is okay, there's something deep in our souls that says we're not worthy to go, go after that which will save us. We're not worthy to go after that which will heal us. We're not worthy to go after that which will quench our thirst. And so we let that Bible sit right there. Or we'll set our alarm or cut a, carve out a particular amount of time to pray and we'll let that pass by. Why? Because there's something in us sometimes that, that, that suffers from, if it's a word, spiritual suicidalness. We just rather go thirsty. We just rather starve ourselves. And today, I, I really want to come against that. Whatever that is that keeps us outside of God's presence on a, on a regular basis, that keeps us always thirsty and dry and brittle, that's what I want to come after today. Because God gives us such the permission to grab the glass of water, to eat the bread, to take that which will nourish our souls. God gives us such permission to do that. What keeps us from praying? Something that I call dream desperation keeps us from praying. You know how you have such a tremendous desire for something? You want something so bad and you're scared of the disappointment? You're scared of asking for it and the potential that you might just have to be mad at God because you don't get it or the potential of 
You might just have to be mad at God because it did not show up the way that you want to, but that dream is so heavy on you. You've always wanted it. You barely even talk about it because that's how deep it is for you. That dream desperation can keep us out because there's always a question of, what if I don't get it? What am I going to do? How am I going to cope? Those are the kinds of things I know for me that have kept me out of a persistent prayer life. Those are the kinds of things that have kept me having a wish list when I need to more have a prayer list to really pray. Come on here, Lord. I know you're in there. What are the relationships? Who are the characters in this story? There's the friend that I call, I'm going to call the good friend. There's a friend, there's a gatekeeper, who's the person in the house. There are, and there's the friend on the journey, and then there's the people, the children of the gatekeeper. What are the circumstances? Well, we already know that the friend arrives, the friend that's on a journey arrives. The good friend doesn't have what he needs, so he's going over to try to get it from the gatekeeper. But the gatekeeper is already locked down. What's at stake? Everything is at stake. Everybody's comfort is at stake. The friend on a journey, he could go hungry for the night. That's what's at stake. The good friend who wants to give this person the bread, his senses of hospitality, his ministry of hospitality is at stake. What's at stake for the gatekeeper and the children? It appears at first nothing, really, but there is something. What's at stake for them is that they won't wake up. What's at stake for them is that they will not open the door. When really, the measure of who they are is in whether or not they open the door or whether or not they wake up. What's at stake for them is discomfort. What's at stake for them is to be bothered. That's what's at stake for them. But Jesus says, Jesus says, no matter what is at stake, knock. And the door will be open. Seek and you will find, what's the other one? Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Something like Jacob and the angel, right? When the scripture says that the the angel wrestled with God or the angel all night and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, that kind of audacity. Something like the audacity of the Canaanite woman who, who came to Jesus to say, I forget whether it was to raise up my kid from the dead or heal my daughter. It was one of the two. And Jesus called her a dog to her face. Remember that? And I can't, I still can't reconcile that scripture. Y'all have at it. I, I'm at a loss. I got nothing. But basically calls her a dog. And she stands right there after being insulted and said, well, even dogs need help. Even if I was a dog, Jesus, I'm going to need your help. And he says, wow, I have never seen anybody 
get called a dog to their face and still stand here and ask me for what they need. That kind of persistence is what Jesus is inviting his disciples into. That type of persistence. I see this, though, in closing, not just about my personal prayer life and what Jesus and God is uh, inviting me into in terms of coming to God relentlessly. I see this story to be so much about advocacy, right? That you have this good friend who goes knocking on the doors, breaking social norms, breaking etiquettes on behalf of someone who was on a journey. And that there's a lot of people on a journey, right? Whether it is a journey out of some form of addiction, whether it is a journey out of the criminal justice system, whether it is a journey outside of um, illiteracy. There's a lot of people on journeys who are showing up and needing help. And this good friend goes and says, hey, I don't have it, but I know where to get it. That's advocacy. This is what you need. I'm going to be the moral liaison between you and your need getting met. I'm going to knock. And this person, see this, this person was not knocking on their own behalf. That man didn't need bread. The man who showed up on a journey needed bread. And he was willing to be that audacious, that shameless on behalf of someone else. That's advocacy at its best. That's advocacy at its best. But sometimes those roles, the characters, can always be interchangeable. At any moment, you and I could be the friend on the journey. Any moment, you and I can choose to be the good friend. And any moment, you and I can choose to be the gatekeepers. And I'm going to tell you that gatekeeper position is a hard thing. Because, see, the gatekeeper doesn't have to give up what they have. The gatekeeper doesn't have to share. The gatekeeper gets to make any and every excuse why he's not going to open that door. The gatekeeper gets to hold on to an identity politic that says, well, here at our church, we don't do that. So try next door. The gatekeeper gets to decide, well, my community seems pretty comfortable. Let's just let it be. The gate, being a gatekeeper, being a person of power and privilege is a tremendous position to be in. And it's hard because a lot of times we have to decide whether we're going to do the right thing, the moral thing, or whether we're going to continue to line up with an identity politic that keeps everybody comfortable. But more so than an advocate, I'm reminded that the scripture says that Jesus is the righteous advocate. And so I don't just see me at this door knocking on somebody's behalf. I'm seeing Jesus knocking on this door. I'm seeing Jesus looking at you and me on our journeys, looking at our needs, 
and saying, I know where you should be able to get that. And knocking on the door of the church. I truly believe that's the hour that we're finding ourselves in, that Jesus is more outside looking in, knocking than anything else. That Jesus is wondering, he's, he's saying now, I know what y'all have in there. I know what you're capable of. I know what your resources are. Are you going to open this door or are you not? Jesus being the advocate, the great advocate, is concerned about all of our needs. It's concerned about all of our journeys. And the best thing in the world that can happen for those people, those children, that community that's behind those doors is to wake up. The worst thing that could happen to them is for them to stay asleep. Even at 12 o'clock at night, the worst thing that could happen to them is to miss the opportunity to answer the door for God. And so my prayer tonight is that God would help us teach us to be more persistent in our own individual prayer lives, that we wouldn't just have wish lists, but that we would have prayer lists, that we would knock and that we would knock and that we would go with, to, with God, to God with a ferociousness like we have never done before. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? Tell God what it is that you want and keep on at it. But also, it's not just about us. We have opportunity after opportunity to knock on the door on somebody else's behalf. Now, will we do that? And then time and time again, we have opportunity to hear the door being knocked as the gatekeepers and answer it for Christ. Will we do that? As we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, let me just have everyone stand and let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you for your word that reminds us that um, you invite us to come boldly. You invite us to come honestly. That you receive our, our prayers, our desires with such beauty and such grace and love. And tonight, uh, Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts that you would find the things that we put on the back burner, that you would find the things that we've hidden away on a wish list, and that you would bring them forward in our spirits and dust them off and help us to have a fortitude to believe that you are well able, that you are more than willing to honor the things that we believe you have ultimately placed on our hearts. Help us when we are the ones on the journey and help us when we are the ones who are the good friend and help us when we are the gatekeepers. Help us to be like you at every season and in every turn. And Lord, I just um, tonight want to lead in the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.